Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Welcome back, Nicole. How are things in Ohio? I heard of a little bit of a snow. Is that true? Yes, yes. We did actually get a fair bit of snow, and a lot of it is blowing around. Uh, So we are in the grips of winter right now. I just I I think of your poor babies outside, you know, or or hopefully they're inside. But uh, you know, anytime it snows and and your horses. Uh, nope, they are outside, happy as can be. It's sunny now, and they're out in the snow. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now today we're talking about pre and probiotics. I know we've sprinkled this in a little bit in some of our podcasts, but we haven't had one specifically to talk about them. So I know we, when we were coming up with topics, this was one that listeners have requested, one that we, we, we agreed we should address. So just to kick this one off, can you just give a brief overview of what pre and probiotics are? Sure. And it's a good question because it's in a lot of feeds today. There are plenty of supplements and definitely some confusion about kind of the concept in general. So starting with probiotics, these are defined as live. So the keyword there is live beneficial microbes that have a positive effect on the environment that you're intending for them to impact. So in our case, mostly targeted towards the hindgut of the horse, but sometimes the small intestine as well. If we were talking about cattle, it would be targeted at their rumen. So what we do is we provide these live microbes that then go in and in some way impact the environment, Um, whether that's bolstering a strain that's already there, introducing a new one, but overall the goal is to have some positive impact. Prebiotics are nutrients that feed the bugs. So these are nutrients that aren't going to be digested by the host. So in our case, the horse, the enzymes, the digestive enzymes of the horse don't break down prebiotics and they aren't absorbed the way, you know, a regular nutrient would be an amino acid, a vitamin, whatever. These instead feed the bugs. So the goal there is by providing the specific fuel to the populations of bugs that you want to support, you create a healthier ecosystem. Most of the time, you have both pre and probiotics provided together, but not always. Sometimes they are separated, but it's really two different approaches towards the same thing, which is a healthy ecosystem of bugs, those are bacteria, protozoa, fungi, all the different things that live in the digestive tract of the horse. That's an excellent explanation. And and again, you know, understanding digestive physiology, we understand these gut microbes are important, but for those that don't, they're like, oh my goodness, you got all these bugs in our gut, you know, even in our gut, you know, in in our own human digestive system. But Specifically for the horse, what are these gut microbes doing? What's their purpose? So the microbes that live along the digestive tract of the horse, you know, we usually talk about the hindgut. That's the part we understand the most. Uh, Things they're doing in the hindgut are breaking down fiber, turning it into an energy source the horse can use because the horse's mammalian enzymes can't break down fiber. Uh, It creates different vitamins. So there are quite a few vitamins that aren't present in the feed, not produced by the horse itself, but are produced by the microbes that live in the hindgut. 
you know, there are other things that, you know, the microbiome, so thinking about big picture do um, in terms of, you know, competition against pathogenic bacteria, uh, all sorts of things that we don't even fully understand yet. But the concept that we understand the best is in the hindgut of the horse, we break down fiber. So grass or hay, turn it into usable nutrients for the horse, primarily energy and then lots of vitamins. A lot of the, the, the nutrition research that's been coming out in the last few years is really focused on the microbiome. And it, it, it's funny how just critical it is, right? Like, and, and we're finding that with our horses? Absolutely. So this is a huge topic of interest in humans and other livestock species, certainly in horses as well. And, and like I've mentioned, we focus a ton on the hindgut, but there's actually these bugs that live all throughout the digestive tract and they have different jobs in different places. And what we are learning is that the microbiome is critical to health. It interacts with the immune system, um, all sorts of really interesting things. The challenge is that we don't understand it very well. I mean, we don't even fully understand it in the human or our, you know, food producing animals, never mind when you trickle down to such a narrow research focus as the horse. So I think mm -hmm. we're going to continue to learn more about the microbiome, not just the hindgut of the horse, but throughout and its impact. I guess the one piece of caution I sometimes have is whenever there's a new hot research topic, all of a sudden you might see lots of solutions for it. And some of them may be useful, but it, it's tough to have a solution for something like the microbiome that, that we've barely scratched the surface of understanding in the horse. So pre and probiotics certainly play a role in that. I would say most of the research today is really focused simply on the hindgut environment of the horse, which is what we understand the most about, um, although we know that it really follows the entire digestive tract. Oh, yeah. I've been in plenty of equine nutrition meetings, and it just seemed like every couple of years there was a hot topic, and it seemed like every, almost not every, but you know, two two thirds to three quarters of the researchers were following that certain topic. It was leptin a few years ago, and fats, and now micro the microbiome is really critical. So with that, I, and like you did say, it's still a new emerging topic, this microbiome, but do we have any research out there that, that shows pre and probiotics are beneficial? Absolutely. Again, mostly focused on the hindgut of the horse. You know, there's quite a bit of research into what strains help stabilize the hindgut pH of the horse, because we know that the fiber digesting bacteria in the hindgut, like a really pretty narrow range of pH is where they thrive if it gets too low. So if we have a more acidic environment, they die off and that allows for the not so good bugs to really proliferate and that causes a disbalance in the hindgut. So certainly a lot of focus around that. So uh, specifically there are certain strains of yeast, for example, that have been shown to help stabilize the pH of the hindgut. We use one of those in tribute. There's other ones um, that have been shown to impact some nutrient digestibility. Uh, so some direct fed microbials, for example. So those are bacterial probiotics. You would see them on the tag with a name like lactobacillus and then the specific species after that. But there are some that increase fat digestibility, improve things like copper and zinc balance. So that tells us it's working more forward in the horse's digestive tract as well because that absorption happens in the small intestine. So it is very hit and miss because, oh my gosh, I can't even 
tell you the number of strains. And then you have yeast, you have bacteria. Mm. Um, It's hit and miss. So not every probiotic, of course, have been proven to be useful. But certainly there is research that supports some of them being beneficial to the horse's digestive tract. Right. And you did say like the pH. So you're thinking like hindgut acidosis, right? That's something we've talked about before. Correct. So what can happen briefly is when you get starches to the hindgut of the horse, they're digested really rapidly and the digestive products of that volatile fatty acids drive the pH down. It's normal for the pH to fluctuate, but if the pH dips too low for too long, you start killing some of your fiber digesting bacteria. Not a good thing. We want those to digest hay. Mm -hmm. And then it allows for the proliferation of these other bacteria that like low pH. And then it really sets off this cycle because the bacteria that like low pH produce further end products that keep the pH low. So kind of the implications of that are broad. It Mm -hmm, may mm -hmm. just be simple decreases in fiber digestibility, meaning you're going, wow, I'm feeding the same amount. My horse looks a little thinner than usual and nothing else has changed. It's because they're less effectively breaking down their forage. More extreme cases, you might see things like chronic diarrhea, some discomfort or gas in the horse, kind of things that give you more specific clues that there's a disbalance in the hindgut. Oh, good explanation. Good explanation. So with all of that being said, I, I know there, there, there's a lot more out there on it, but you know, I think we, we've established they're important and, and they're important for the health and digestion for the horse. How do we feed these? Because years ago, I remember it was like almost top dressed, right? But now that's a little, it's a little bit more, but now there's way more options. Sure. I actually remember in grad school, I did a study with a probiotic and we had to maintain it at a really certain temperature. And then Mm -hmm. it could only go on top of the feed right before it was fed because those probiotics didn't stay viable otherwise. The nice thing is that we have improved our technology to really expand how we could use those. So your probiotics, they can come in a top dress in a pelleted or granular form. There are liquid like tube preparation. So you might syringe into a horse's mouth. And then a really common one now are probiotics that are actually incorporated into your feed. So they're in a pellet and it's already built into your program. So that's, that is what we do. Talking about the improvements of technology, one of the things you have to do is maintain the viability of those microbes. So they have to get through the pelleting process So that means they have to be heat stable and tolerant to the level of moisture added as part of the pelleting process. And then they also have to stay stable for the shelf life of that product. So, you know, that could be anywhere from three to six months that it takes from the time that a grain is produced until it's ideally fed to a horse. So it is really neat now that we have more technologies that allow us to use these probiotics specifically. This isn't an issue with prebiotics, but remember the probiotics have to be live. Mm -hmm. So they need to be alive when they're in the pellet. The other part of that um, is then thinking about the digestive physiology of the horse. So a lot of your initial probiotic research is targeted towards cattle. And the products that are developed for cattle might not work in a horse because if we think about the digestive physiology... 
the equivalent to the hindgut of the horse is the rumen of the cow. So when a cow takes a bite of feed, it goes down the esophagus, it lands in the rumen. That's where all the fermentation happens. And then from there, the digestion moves through a couple compartments and ends up in the stomach. The stomach is acidic. That is really notable because part of the reason the stomach is acidic is to prevent pathogens from reaching the lower GI tract. So that low pH of the stomach kills a lot of microbes. Stomach has no idea if it's a good microbe or a bad microbe. So if we think about using a product that was originally developed for cattle and very effective in the rumen, if it can't withstand the acidic conditions of the stomach, it's not going to be live when it reaches the part of the horse that we want it to impact, either the small intestine or the hindgut. So there's also newer technology that not only protects our probiotics through the pelleting process, but also through the acidic conditions of the stomach. Because it doesn't matter if it's alive when it's just in the horse's mouth, which is basically what a bag guarantee is telling you. So it'll tell you the CFUs per pound of feed. That's saying it's live in the bag. We need to get it through the stomach and then to the lower GI tract alive to actually impact the horse in a positive way. Now, how do you decide which strains? Because you, you mentioned earlier that there's all these different strains. So can you put them all in or do you just select certain ones to do certain jobs, I guess, is, is a question. Yeah, great question. So there are many, many strains. So ideally, you have some sort of research-driven process to help you narrow it down. So for example, we use a Saccharomyces cerevisiae, a yeast, as one of our components. There's lots of Saccharomyces cerevisiae, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions. Um, So there was an in vitro process to narrow down which of those looked like they would have a positive impact. And then they were actually fed to horses. And in this case, um, a trial was done to look at changes in the fecal pH of horses. So kind of looking at, did we change the pH of the hindgut, which fecal pH can be an indicator of, and then also testing the populations of different bacteria. So did we increase the fiber digesting bacteria? Yes, that is what we want. We can actually measure that. Uh, So ultimately, when I think about strains, there's two different things that I need to be aware of. One, is it developed for the horse? Is it tested in the horse? Do we have strong research to support that? Two is recognizing that it's not always beneficial to compare number to number. So a lot of times you might put two feed tags next to each other and say, feed A has more of this nutrient, therefore it must be a better feed. When it comes to probiotics, which are measured in CFUs, so colony forming units, generally per pound is what you'll see on the tag, strain A might have 100 million CFU and be just as effective or more effective than strain B at 1 billion CFUs. So it's one of those things that makes it actually very difficult as a consumer to compare these um, because it's not as simple as just a comparison side by side. Oh, this one has more, therefore it must be better. So all of that has to really come in the back end in the testing phase and actually be supported by data. That was going to be my next question. Like, is more better? Like, is there any danger with, I guess, overfeeding pre and probiotics? Or like you said, it it doesn't necessarily mean more is better. So 
what's the data on if you accidentally or even purposely uh, overfeed probiotics? What could happen? Yeah, the good news is there's really not any literature to support overfeeding of probiotics being a detrimental thing. In all likelihood, what you get is a diminishing curve of response. So at some point, you hit the maximum response. And then anything you feed above that, you're just not seeing any difference. Uh, you know, there there haven't been any examples of horses, for example, who developed, you know, significant digestive upset or disease like colic because of feeding probiotics. It's more so that we're, you know, ultimately hurting our pocketbook if we just add more and more beyond what the established rate of return is on a particularly strain of probiotics. No, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Cause that was one of the things like, you know, you hear it with uh, in humans, when you read up on pre and probiotics, they, they warn you uh, of that, but that makes so much sense uh, with diminishing returns. I guess any other final tips you can give our listeners when it comes to feeding pre and probiotics? Sure. And this kind of goes along in a bigger picture sense with your previous question is what happens if I as an end user, combine, you know, probiotics from seven different companies that are all by themselves maybe really good products. You know, the challenging thing is you don't have the information to know if you're getting a cumulative positive effect. You're probably not going to cause a negative effect. But because all of these work a little bit differently in how they support, they may not be giving you you know, two plus two equals four, you could just end up canceling each other out in some cases. So one of my recommendations is to, you know, identify, you know, a feed company or whatever that you want to work with, and then see if they have recommendations. Um, What I recommend for our products is that Sometimes horses do benefit from a little bit higher level than in what is already in the feed. So a lot of times you get a maintenance dose in the feed. And if we add more, more like a stress dose, because the horse is undergoing some sort of challenge, whether that be mm-hmm. training, trailering, sickness, antibiotic use, et cetera, sometimes you get a little bit more return in a stressed out horse from a little bit higher level of the same probiotic. So what we have are some additional top dresses that utilize the same strains that are already built into the feed. We know they're going to work symbiotically together because we've already done that testing to know that. So again, just making life more complicated, you can have Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. two different probiotic strains that individually work really well together. We honestly usually don't have the data to know if they're going to work well together, just comparing product A and B. That was good. That was good. It's it's a fascinating topic. It it just is that, you know, when they came on the scene, pre and probiotics in the last, I'd say 10 years and its impacts on the positive impacts on horse health, human health. So thank you for explaining that today, Nicole. And, and for our listeners, keep those suggestions coming. Some fascinating ideas for the next few months in the podcast and our articles. Be sure to go to the Tribute web, website to learn more. Also follow us on Facebook and you can give us those suggestions. But thank you so much, Nicole, and stay tuned for another great episode next week. Thanks, Chris.